0: What day is it? It's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Turn with me into Luke chapter 19. Within God's Word. Luke chapter 19. This morning, Palm Sunday, reminds you, it's the church's big day. It's Christianity's big event. It's a day of praise, a day of rejoicing in our triumphant Jesus, where Jesus had shunned publicity and promotion before. He didn't do it on that first Palm Sunday. For the first time, the first time, Jesus openly revealed Himself and proclaimed Himself as Messiah, as the Christ, as the King of kings. Read with me in Luke 19, verse 36. As He went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When He came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Circle that word, King. That's pivotal. Blessed is the King. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The religious leaders, of course, came by and said, "You know, and I've had them come by after one of our services, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Jesus." They're getting a little loud in church today. We don't go for all that clapping and all that shouting and that loud singing and that loud praising. We think that's borders on emotional excess and fanaticism. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, rebuke your followers. Jesus said, if these do not praise Me, what did He say? The very rocks and the stones of the field will cry out and worship unto Me rebuked these religious leaders, then went into conspiracy. They conspired, they plotted from that point onward to kill Jesus. Why? Because they missed recognizing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, King of Kings. But it just wasn't the religious leaders. What about the crowd? I said, what about the crowd? The crowd missed recognizing Jesus too. But pastor, they hailed him as king. They saw him as a different kind of king. Rather than a spiritual savior, they saw Jesus as a conqueror king. They expected the Romans to be routed (laughs) and kicked out of Jerusalem that very night. And the crowd was so... (laughs) Uh, in a workup frenzy, the crowd was in such an emotional fervor over Jesus being their one true conqueror of the Romans that they missed two things. They failed to see two things. What were the two things that they that, that they failed to really see? Number one, Jesus wasn't writing. Upon the white charger, the white stallion of a conqueror, Jesus was riding on a donkey. Number two, Jesus did not hold his head up proudly. Jesus, their conqueror, was crying. I never knew that about the story, Pastor. The event. Look with me in Luke 19.41. Now as Jesus drew near, He saw the city and He what? Wept over it saying, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you. As Jesus begins to prophesy, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This judgment, this prophecy became true 40 years later. The Romans raised Jerusalem to the ground. One stone not left upon another. The prophecy was fulfilled because Israel Israel, failed to recognize her true king. Israel missed her time of visitation. And my plea with you this morning is don't miss, don't miss, don't miss your time of visitation. Don't fail to recognize your true King. This morning, we preach a word that the Lord has placed upon your pastor's heart, a Palm Sunday message, our King of Kings. Write it down with me if you'd like to follow along in the sermon study guide this morning, if you'd like to take notes, if you don't want to, sit back But unbuckle your seat, or buckle your seat. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It is. Amen. When Jesus wasn't the king, his world expected. What did they do? They rejected him. He was a letdown. And his rejection, mark it well, was nothing short of satanic. Luke 23, verse 1, Then the whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus to Pilate. Now I want you to notice something here. Let's do a little biblical exegesis here. I want you to note and notice how the whole trial, torture, and crucifixion event of Jesus, it's all about His kingship. It's all about His kingship. You need to look at the death of Jesus, uh, the trial of Jesus, as the kingship, through the lens of the kingship of Jesus. It is rejection of Him being king. Every time you see king or kingdom, circle the word. The whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus to Pilate. And they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation saying that he himself is Christ. There it is, circle it, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, it is as you say. John 18 now follows and picks up. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world. My servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king for this cause. I was born and for this cause I have come into the world. Let it be known, let there be no confusion. Jesus is king. He was not elected king. He was not uh, 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 voted in as king. He was not appointed king. Jesus did not have any Russian collusion that made him king. Jesus is king eternal. He always has been king. He always will be king. He is the king of the everlasting ages. Hallelujah! This is an issue right now. The trial, the torture, the crucifixion of Jesus is a battle between the forces of heaven and the forces of hell on who will be king. You need to understand that. Trying to appease the bloodthirsty mob, Pilate handed Jesus over to his soldiers To be what? To be scourged, whipped, flogged with the Roman cat of nine tails, the Roman flagrum, that literally eviscerated and lacerated a human being. Only men were whipped and crucified. Only the most hardened criminals were whipped and crucified. But this was normal. For hardened criminals, And the worst of the worst criminals of that day and time. But what happened next was abnormal. It had never happened before and has never happened again. The soldiers exceeded their orders. What next happened? What did the soldiers do? It is only explained through satanic, sadistic inspiration. Only Satan could have written this script. Read it with me in Matthew 27, verse 26. What did the soldiers do? Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered the whole garrison around Him, and they stripped Him. They put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head in a reed, a stick to act like a king's scepter in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on Him. And they took the reed and they struck Him on the head. Again, whipping and crucifixion were normal in that day and time. But not the robe, not the reed, not the crown of thorns. Nowhere does the Bible say that they ever took the crown of thorns off. He wore the crown of thorns to the cross. Pilate then brought Jesus out. Uh, He brought Jesus out still wearing the robe, still holding the the reed, still wearing the crown of thorns. And in, in, in total mockery, Pilate brings Jesus out before the people. And what did Pilate say? John 19, Pilate said, Behold your King! Our King Jesus... You need to be keenly aware of this. Suffer the worst of broken hearts so you can bring every hurt to Him knowing that He understands it all. Knowing that He understands it all. Listen, Jesus experienced the worst inner pain that any hurting heart could ever imagine. Jesus experienced betrayal, false accusation, abject humiliation, and total, total, Total rejection. Every thorn biting into his scalp uh, stabbed him with the pain of, of rejection. Again, I'm convinced that Satan wrote the entire script. He orchestrated the entire affair. You know, a- as a pastor, I- I've walked through some dark times with you all. I'm looking into the faces of people. I've prayed with you. I've counseled with you. I've held your hand in prayer. And we walked through some tough times, some dark times. Job loss, career loss, cancer, death of a loved one, divorce. Yet the worst pain that I've ever walked with you in, the worst pain I've ever witnessed is the pain of rejection. Who have you suffered rejection from? Who has deeply hurt you, abused you, used you? Parents who never encouraged you, never loved you the way they should? Parents who abused you? Friends who betrayed you? Lovers who left you, abandoned you? Who's rejected you? A son or a daughter whose lifestyle says, I don't want you and I don't want your Jesus. Who's rejected you? Every spouse who experiences the shock of an adulterous mate is well versed, well versed in the feelings of rejection. Does Jesus really, really understand? Oh, oh, dear one, that's where you need to turn to Isaiah 53. The prophet said, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon Him. And by His stripes, say it with me, and by His stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah! Glory to God! What's the point in all of this? Hear me. No one understands like Jesus. Like Jesus. When you see Jesus wearing the crown of thorns, I want you to realize He's not only a Savior who heals, who has the power to heal, but He's a Savior who feels the depth of your worst pain. Never say... Jesus doesn't understand what you're going through. He's entered into every hurt, every fear that you will ever encounter. He knows how to be with you in your darkest hour. He knows just the right words to speak into your spirit. He knows just the right time to wrap His loving arms around you and hear His voice. I've been there. I know But I conquered, and I'll make you unconquerable too. He does more, you see, than sympathize or empathize. He knows how to heal you and move you to victory. Every time I see the crown of thorns, I am reminded that Jesus is our wounded healer. Not just our healer, our wounded healer. Rebellion or reception to our king's reign. Again, everything about the trial, everything about the torture, the crucifixion of Jesus was rebellion to the king of kings. Again, think of the different ways. List them. Think of the different ways that Satan sought to mock the kingship, the lordship of Jesus. Jesus. Again, I point you to the stick that was put in Jesus' hand. Mockery of a king's scepter. Uh, The dirty laundry that was placed around his back. Mockery of a king's royal robe. Uh, uh, Again, I remind you that the cross... That he was nailed to became his throne. The poster that was posted above his head on that cross. uh, Pilate's poster. The king of the Jews became his royal banner. The mocking of his kingship. Because they shouted at the cross. If you really are uh, the king of kings. Come down from that cross. Satan would have loved that. Became his royal homage became His royal worship. And the crown of thorns became His only crown. Satan orchestrated, Satan choreographed the entire event. He wanted the whole event to speak and shout out to the world, We do not want King Jesus. We reject Him. We rebel against Him. We do not want Him to reign over our hearts. We don't want Him to be the Lord of our life. Rejection, rebellion over the kingship of Jesus. Did it only happen around the cross? There's a story that goes of the chicken and the pig... The chicken and the pig were walking the dusty farm roads uh, of middle America. And the chicken and the pig were worried about the farmers. It had been a bad year. It had been a bad harvest. And the chicken and the pig, they they, they felt they needed to do something for the farmers. And so the chicken had an idea. He, he, he said to the pig, the chicken said to the pig, let's offer them some some ham and eggs. The pig said, hey, hey, wait a minute. Hold on here. For you, that's just a contribution. But for me, that's total outright commitment. We laugh. But that's just what we find in the church today, don't we? When you allow Jesus to enter the throne room of your heart... When you allow Jesus to ascend to the throne of your life, and He rules, He reigns, He steers, He's behind the the steering wheel of your life instead of you, that's what makes Jesus King and Lord of your person. Listen, the greatest threat to the church, the greatest threat to the church is not our x-rated culture. The greatest threat to the church is not a bankrupt society, a moral meltdown. The greatest threat to the church today is half-hearted, lukewarm, namby pamby milk toast carnal Christianity. That's the greatest threat to the church. I ask you, how do you tell the difference? How do you tell the difference? Between the chicken and the pig. How do you tell the difference between the committed Christians and the carnal Christians? By carnal, we mean fleshly. By carnal, we mean self-rules and reigns upon the throne of the Christian's heart. Write it down. How do you tell the difference between carnal Christians and kingdom Christians? The carnal Christian's first love. The carnal Christian's first love is self, while the kingdom Christian's first love is Jesus. These are all on the screen. The carnal Christians are characterized by inconsistency, while kingdom Christians are found faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. You can depend upon them. They show up to work in the nursery, and the pastor's wife says Amen. She's got her hands lifted up. They show up to ushering. They're not no shows. They show up to, to, to choir practice. They show up to teach their Sunday school class. They can be counted on. They're, they're faithful. A couple a couple was arguing. What do most married couples argue about? What's the number one issue that divides married couples in America today? What do most married couples argue about? The most divisive thing. Talk to me. Oh, my. No division in the house at all. They were arguing over their finances. And, and the, the husband shouted at the wife, Listen, if it wasn't for my money, this beautiful home wouldn't be here. She shouted back at him, Listen, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here. Why am I faithful? Why am I faithful? Year in and year out. Now these 40 years come May 6. Why am I faithful to this beautiful blonde down here? My dear Rebecca. Rebecca. Because of a piece of paper. Because of a marriage license. Because of a marriage contract. Why am I faithful to her? I love her more now than ever. The love gets better day by day. Sweeter by sweet. Hallelujah. I'm more in love with her than ever. You see, real love for the Lord produces faithfulness. Faithfulness. Unfaithfulness to our Lord not only shows that Jesus doesn't reign in your heart, it's a tip off. Unfaithfulness is a tip off. You're not really in love with Jesus. We're faithful to the one we're really in love with. The carnal Christian's constant prayer is what? Give me a blessing. While the kingdom Christian prays, make me a blessing. Use me, Lord. Don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Use me as an instrument of blessing in Your hand. I want to be an impact for Your kingdom. I want to change people in the name of Jesus. I want to make a difference. Carnal Christians are high-maintenance people. While kingdom Christians, they shoulder the burden of ministry. You see, carnal Christians are consumer-oriented Christians. What can the church do for me? How can you make me happy, church? How can you make me feel blessed? If you keep making me happy, I'll be back week in, week out. You know, you're like the store. You're like the restaurant. Uh, I'm a consumer Christian. I'm a carnal Christian. Kingdom Christians are different. They're excited about giving their all to the Lord, to the body of Christ, His church. Carnal Christians worry. Uh, carnal Christians worry about what the world will think of them, what the popular crowd will think of them, while kingdom Christians worry about what God thinks of them. You see, carnal Christians are like sailboats. They go wherever the wind blows. They go wherever popular opinion goes. They couldn't stand up for Christ because they have a wet noodle of a backbone. Overcomers, committed Christians kingdom Christians are not are not sailboats they're motorboats they go against uh, the wind of popular opinion they go against the current uh, of the popular crowd they worry about what God thinks not what people think because Jesus is their Lord and King they go where Jesus would go they say what Jesus would say they do what Jesus would do they want to be all that Jesus wants them to be did not did not King Jesus Jesus say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, uh, die to self, and follow me. Carnal Christians only want Jesus as their savior. While kingdom Christians also honor him as their king, the Lord of their lives. You see, carnal Christians, oh, oh, they want Jesus as their Savior. Oh, oh, they want to go to heaven. Oh, oh, they want eternal life. They want heaven, not hell, but they don't want Jesus as king. They don't want Jesus to rule their life. They tell King Jesus, I want heaven. But I don't want you to be Lord of my life. Hands off my relationships. Hands off my activities. Hands off my thought life. Hands off my sex life. Hands off my personal life. I'll give you a little time on Sunday morning. I'll give a little clap in the praise and worship. But listen, it's my life to live. It's not yours. You are not my king. My dear Lakeside family. Hear the word of the Lord. I remind you, the blessings, the blessings are only for the faithful, only to the committed, only for kingdom Christians. The rewards are only given to the faithful. The white robe in heaven is only given to the faithful. In that day Jesus said, many shall come, many shall come. And they'll come and they'll say, Lord, Lord. And He will respond, I know you not. Depart from Me. I never knew you. They've been carnal. Half hearted, lukewarm, namby pamby, compromising, carnal Christians. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you live in a hen house doesn't make you a chicken. Come on, wake up. Is Jesus the king of your heart? Is he the Lord of your life? It's all about, it's all about, it's all about kingship. All of this is moving towards that moment who is king when satan heard jesus crying on the cross you remember what jesus cried on the cross it's the same cry many of us have cried why when satan heard jesus crying on the cross my god my god why hast thou forsaken me I imagine that Satan was thrilled. I imagine Satan rejoiced and celebrated. I finally won. I've not only broken his body, I have broken his spirit. I've won. He's failed. Christ is a loser. He's failed in his mission to be Savior. I'm going to listen next, because next... Next, I know, he's going to curse God and die. But Jesus' next cry wasn't cursing. His next cry wasn't a cry of pain. It wasn't a cry of defeat. The Greek word is megaphone. We get our word megaphone from it. Jesus, the Bible says, cried in a loud voice. It is finished. Satan said, that's right, it is finished. But Satan was a little nervous about the way Jesus said, It is finished. He didn't like the way Jesus shouted, It is finished. Then Jesus died. And I imagine the devil and his demons partied like there was no tomorrow that weekend to make sure that that Jesus stayed dead, old slew foot, He provided, he orchestrated the most uh, precise, the most detailed, the most secure burial precautions ever known to man. When was the last time, sir, ma'am, you drove by a cemetery and you saw a platoon of soldiers guarding a dead man's body? Satan made sure, Satan made sure that there was a platoon of 30 soldiers, Roman legionnaires, guarding the dead body of Jesus Christ at the grave, at the tomb. He made sure that there was a mighty, exceeding great stone, the Bible says, that blocked uh, that pathway into the tomb. Nothing could get in and nothing could get out. And Satan, in final measure... Put uh, the seal, the seal of Rome upon the door of that tomb. It was just what I used to do with my mother because she would like to go in my room after I'd go to school and and, and, and investigate my room. So I'd put a piece of scotch tape uh, on the door and I'd come home if that tape was uh, broken, mom had been in my room, somebody had been in my room. The seal of Rome worked in the same measure. If you broke the seal of Rome, you would incurred the military wrath of Rome upon yourself, that was really a seal of Satan upon the tomb of Jesus. You see, the devil knew something. The devil knew that a king without a kingdom, a failed savior, a dead savior could save no one. A dead Savior would mean that our prayers would go unanswered. A dead Savior would mean that we would walk all alone through life's deep and dark valleys. A uh, uh, dead Jesus meant that there would be no healer for our sicknesses, no deliverer for our bondages. And we would be led by our fears and not our faith. We would be doomed to a highway uh, 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 of hell instead of a home in heaven. There would be no hope. Uh, the Apostle Paul, picks up the tempo and he says if Christ is not raised your faith is vain you are yet in your sins and we are of all men most miserable and Satan knew it oh imagine Imagine with me how hell uh, must have partied the night of Jesus' death. I can imagine the demons dining, the demons dancing, uh, the devils rejoicing, and old slew Satan boasting. "Huh, oh, The king of kings is dead! Salvation is dead, the door of heaven is shut, ha, <laughs> and I have won all the children of God to the halls of hell. The kingdom of darkness has prevailed. I am the kingdom, I am the glory, I am the power forevermore. Then who's interrupting my party? Satan cried. Who's at the doors? The gates of hell. What is that? Suddenly I can imagine a blazing glorious light through which no man could gaze pervaded and invaded that darkness of the halls of hell and suddenly a little imp comes up to old slewfoot that satan and says master master the stone has been rolled away <laughs> i am the resurrection and the life the glorious light pronounced. Uh, I was dead and behold. I am alive forevermore. All authority in heaven and earth has been granted me. I am the unconquerable King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. The unconquerable Christ invaded the halls of hell. Alive forevermore. Listen. Listen, we need a fresh perspective of who our king is. We need a fresh perspective of our problems. We need a fresh revelation of our unconquerable king of kings. The story goes of a boy that was being bullied by a a neighbor kid down the street. And this bully was so big that this little boy was afraid to stand up against him. It just so happened, the little boy's father got him a pair of brand new binoculars. And dad pulled aside the curtains to see his son playing with the new binoculars. But the father was shocked because the son, the son had the binoculars backwards and was staring down the street looking through the binoculars backwards. And the father shouted out to the son, 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 turn him around. You got it all backwards. And the boy shouted back, Dad, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm looking at the bully down the street. Now he's so small, I'm not afraid of him anymore. Which way, which way, which way are you looking at your problems? Too long you've magnified your problems instead of magnifying your Lord. Too long you've looked at your problems as an impossible. Y- isn't it time to see them from God's perspective? And better yet, isn't it time to, to glorify and magnify, hallelujah, and edify your King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The Psalmist said, David said in Psalms 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. That's why we lift up our hands. That's why we sing our praise and worship songs. That's why we shout to Him. We clap unto Him. We stand before Him. We press into His presence because as we press into the presence of the Lord in praise and worship we magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. You've heard me say it so many times. I say it again. This way when you worship the Lord, when you magnify the lord you're able you're able to stop telling your god how big your giants are and you start telling your giants how big your god is hallelujah and you start seeing your jesus as your unconquerable king of kings you start worshiping him as the lord of lords when you magnify or diminish something You do not, you do not change the size of the object. Let me explain it again. When you magnify something, when you diminish something, you do not change its size, you change your perspective of it. When you really see Jesus, when you really, really, really begin to see Jesus, As the unconquerable King of Kings, you realize He's been given all authority in heaven and in earth. And all things are subject to Him. Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians 1, this is a powerful verse this morning. And God placed all things under His what feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. When our unconquerable King of kings reigns in your life, He makes you unconquerable too. Listen, listen, there comes blessing, there comes benefit, there comes advantages for making Jesus the King of your heart and the Lord of your life because He makes you unconquerable too. He puts all things under your feet too, Christian. You're unconquerable not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Not because of your ability, not because of your power, your expertise. You become unconquerable because of His authority in you. Christ in you is your hope of glory because He, the unconquerable King of kings, is in you. Jesus, didn't Jesus say in Luke 10? Didn't Jesus say, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Now, I don't want you to go to the reptile house and start walking on snakes. We don't handle snakes here. Jesus meant this as a metaphor. Look at what he says next. Uh, over all the power of the enemy. And nothing, 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 say that with me, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Listen, when you realize that you're unconquerable because of the unconquerable Christ in you, when you realize that you're a king's kid, you realize he's put all things under your feet. You need to see every obstacle, every sickness, every problem, every temptation, every bad habit as being under your feet. It's no match for you. It won't keep you from your eternal destiny. It's already defeated in the mind of Christ. That addiction, that addiction won't die dog you forever it's not your destiny hallelujah it's under your feet that depression that has been in your family for a long time it will not it will not be passed down to your children you're going to break the chain because it's under your feet hallelujah that financial struggle barely getting by Week after week, it's not permanent. It's under your feet. It's just a matter of time before your breakthrough into holy favor. You need to shake off the lies of the devil that are telling you that your problems are too big, that it's been too long, that it's uncurable, that it's never changing. This is a new day, child of God. Your problem isn't meant to be a stumbling block to take you down. God has purposed it to be a stepping stone to take you higher in Him. Higher in Him. To build up faith muscles. That's why you need to keep the right perspective. It's under your feet. You may be facing obstacles that don't feel like they're under your feet. You've carried it for so long it doesn't seem like it's under your feet. Your sickness, uh, it seems so big. Your financial problems look so impossible. Or your addictions, they've dragged on for years. But we don't go by what we see. Because what? We walk by faith and not by sight. Those problems, say it with me, they are under my feet. Listen, when you talk, when you rebuke, That sickness in the name of Jesus. When you rebuke that storm, that cloud of depression in the name of Jesus. When you rebuke old Sloughfoot, in the name of Jesus, look down. I said look down. I've heard that if you want to rebuke the devil... If you want to say something to the enemy of your soul, you need to write it on the bottom of your shoe. Because, because, because our King of Kings has placed all things under your feet. Somebody help me here this morning. He's placed it under your feet. Amen. Amen. Okay, let me put it another way. You know the day before a boxing match. You've seen it on TV. It's press day before a boxing match. And the two boxers are facing one another. Have you seen how they look at one another? (laughs) Loser, loser, loser. Champion, champion, champion. I'm going to kick you. I'm going to punch you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to spit you up, lunch you up, munch you up, and chew you up, and spit you out. I, I mean, champion, loser. You've seen it. I've seen it on TV. When you face a problem. When you face an enemy trying to keep you from favor from God's best. For you to look it in the eye like those boxers. You need to look down. (laughs) I mean to really look down. You need to look under your feet uh, and say, loser, loser, loser. Champion, champion, champion. If God be for me, who can be against me? Greater is He that's within me than he that's within this world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, though the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a banner against Him. Greater is He that's within me than He that's within this world. All things, all things are under my feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! 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 It's Palm Sunday. Let's bless His name. It's under your feet. King of kings, He is King eternal. He was King then. He is king now, and what a day that will be when we see Jesus, our King of kings. Let's do a little history lesson. We are the first nation in human history to intentionally base our laws Our Constitution on the Bible. Just 60 years ago, 60 years ago, within one lifetime, school days across America began with prayer. The Ten Commandments were posted not only in public places. The Ten Commandments were posted in our school hallways and in our classrooms. Children were taught, Thou shalt not kill. Millions did not have to march for gun control because we did not deal with the fruit of the matter. We dealt with the root of the matter. Sinful human nature. Thou shalt not kill. But America in her prosperity and in her prowess has grown proud. Pagan Godless. Our secularized society has outlawed prayer, the Bible, and the Ten Commandments in our schools. Do you realize that the Bible is the most banned book in America? Bringing a Bible to school is tantamount to bringing a weapon to school today. Our contemporary culture regularly mocks Christ. Artists, artists have depicted Christ in buffoonery and mockery. Uh, one put a crucifix in a jar of urine and called it art. And it was allowed. Plays and movies like The Last Temptation of Christ or, or Jesus Christ Superstar are mockeries. They, 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 they are buffooneries of Christ. They ridicule Him, they mock Him, they blaspheme Him. It is an abomination before the Lord. Late night show hosts mock Christ and Christians and get away with it. But they wouldn't dare mock Islam or Muhammad. America has chosen pleasure, prosperity, paganism, and even perversion as her new gods. Like those who rejected Jesus at His cross. For those that mocked Jesus at His cross, that spirit has been revived and it is strong and well, alive and well in America today. Wrong has become right. And right has become wrong. The mantra of our generation is if it feels good, do it. What I feel good about is moral. What I feel bad about is immoral. We have a new... Uh, we say, God, we are our own gods. We are our own saviors. We shall be our own king. Let me tell you, though man has changed the vocabulary of sin, God's vocabulary on sin has not changed. They might call it free love, uh, an extramarital affair. God calls it fornication. God calls it adultery. Fornication, by the way, kids, young people, and single adults is sex before marriage. They might call it freedom of expression. God calls it profanity. God calls it pornography. They might call it gay rights. Uh, they might call it, what is it, L G P. B, T, Q, X, Y, Z. They might call it all of those rights. God calls it sodomy. God calls it perversion. They might call it free choice. A woman's right to choose. A woman's right over her own body. God calls it murder. God calls it murder. Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle said... I want you to judge our times by what Paul prophesied. Paul said, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form. A form, yeah, they still go to church. They still look like Christians, having a form of godliness but denying its power thereof. Are we already in those times? I declare to you upon the authority of God's Word, I know, I know that I know, I am convinced we're in the last of the last days. Last of the last days, you know that I'm a Bible prophecy student. And all the prophecies, all the prophecies that have been fulfilled in our one generation are staggering. More prophecies fulfilled in one lifetime than all the cumulative centuries since Jesus Christ. And it's all happening in our generation. Without revival, our anti-God world will culminate in the devil's masterpiece. What's the devil's masterpiece? What's the epitome of rebellion and rejection? The supreme rebel known as the Antichrist, the beast, 666. After seven years of great tribulation and persecution, he will ultimately, the Antichrist, be so consumed with pride that at the battle of Armageddon, he will combine the world's forces to take on heaven itself. But this time, this time, I said this time, Jesus is not coming as a baby in a Bethlehem manger, surrounded by farm animals, surrounded by cows and pigs and goats. This time, He'll be surrounded by the angels of God and the armies of heaven. This time, this time, this time he's not going to come riding the dusty roads of Palestine on a donkey. This time he'll be on a milk-white stallion, thundering across the clouds of glory. Hallelujah! Last time! last time he wore he wore a crown of thorns this time the bible says upon his head and upon his brow will be many crowns glory to god last time he washed the feet Uh, he washed the feet of his disciples but this time all things are under his feet and they're under your feet too christian hallelujah last time Last time he was brought, chained and shackled before Herod, before Pilate. But this time, Pilate will come before him. Uh, Herod will bow before him. Uh, Lenin, Marx, uh, Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, the Antichrist, and even, oh, Satan himself, will come on bended knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords. And tell me, what? King of kings. Would you give Him praise and glory? Lord of lords. And King of kings. <laughs> what a Savior He is. What a Lord He is. I don't know about you, but as for me and my family, we don't want to follow a loser. I want to follow Jesus. I want to make Jesus, Lord of my life, King of my heart, because I have found that Jesus, I said Jesus, is more than wonderful. Amen. Sit with me, precious Jesus.
1: he would be a counselor, a mighty God, and a Prince of Peace. He promised us that he would be a Father and would love us with a love that would not see. Well, I tried him, and I found his promises are true. He's everything he said that he would be. The finest words I know could not begin to tell just what. He goes beyond My highest hopes And fondest dreams He's everything, everything that my soul Ever longed for Everything he promised And so much more More than a man sing. More than marvelous, more than miraculous could ever be. He's more than wonderful. That's what Jesus the king of glory would come to live within the heart of man oh I marvel just to know he more wonderful than my heart can believe he goes beyond my highest goal
0: Descend upon this place, upon hearts, upon lives. Call them. Call each of us to a new level in you, Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning. And I'm prepared to pray a prayer unlike any prayer that we have prayed in a long time. It's not a prayer to make Jesus your Savior. It's a prayer to make Jesus your Lord and King. For too long, for too long, Jesus has only been your Savior. But if you were really honest, if you were really honest with yourself, it is self that sits upon the throne of your heart, not Jesus. Oh, you want to go to heaven. You've asked Jesus to save you from your sins. But He's not the Lord of your life. He doesn't sit behind the steering wheel of your life. You've made Him your co-pilot. But not your Lord of lords and King of kings. Isn't it time? Isn't it time you give the steering wheel over to Jesus? Isn't it time that you let Him rule? Him reign? Over your thoughts, your words, your actions, your relationships. And make Him first and foremost. I remind you, there's a day coming where many will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. But He'll say, I know you not. You might say, well, I love Jesus, Pastor. Jesus said, if you love Me, you will obey My commandments. That's when you know that He rules and reigns on the throne of your heart. I'm going to pray a prayer of lordship, kingship, a new level of dedication, a new level of favor, a new level of blessing, a new level that will make you unconquerable, all things under your feet. Right now, at this moment, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You know Jesus as your Savior. But this morning, you want to make Him your Lord. You want Him to rule on the throne of your heart. Lift up your hand right now. I'm talking about you. Lift up your hand right now. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus is not ruling. Jesus is not reigning. And this morning, you've discovered, I want to make Him more than Savior. I want Him to be the King of kings. And the Lord of Lords of my heart, then pray this prayer with me. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud with your pastor right now. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, this moment, here in this place, and I confess I know you as my Savior, but not as my Lord. I want to go to heaven. I have not made you my king. I open the door of my heart, Jesus, and I invite you to come in. I don't want self to rule my life, to sit on the throne of my heart. I want you, Jesus. I want you to be the king, the Lord of my life. I want you to steer me, guide my thoughts. Control my words. Orchestrate my actions. I want you to be the Lord. Dear Jesus, I declare that I am your child and you are my King. From this day onward, I will follow you. I will take up my cross and follow you. I will deny myself and follow You. I thank You, Jesus, that You've heard me. I thank You, Jesus, that all things are under my feet. I thank You, Jesus, because You're unconquerable. I'm unconquerable too. What a day that will be when I say, Hello. King Jesus I believe this and I receive this in the name of Jesus I pray it Amen